Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to InsureTech Amplified. Today, we are joined by Scott Ham, the CEO of Pinpoint Predictive. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing, by the way? It's, it's your Monday morning, yeah? It is my Monday morning, and I thank you for having me on. It's, it's an honor to be on your show. It's my complete pleasure. Can you do our listeners a favor and give us a little bit of your background for some context? Sure, sure. Old insurance uh, person. So I, I, I like to describe myself as that because it's not a negative. Uh, so I, I actually am a lawyer uh, by trade, practiced law in California, became a general counsel for various units in Transamerica Insurance, and then actually became the CEO of Transamerica's insurance uh, operation uh, globally. Then I spent some time at McKinsey uh, working through their insurance verticals, and it kind of leads me to today not dismissing that I was a mentor at InsureTech New York, and that's where all of this actually started with Pinpoint. What was it like, and, and actually, what was the benefit for you of doing the McKinsey experience? What was that like for you? Oh, there were there were a lot of benefits. Uh, I, I salute uh, the folks at McKinsey. They, they're super smart. They yeah. work a lot yeah. uh, and do great things for, for their clients. So I want to get that uh, right off the bat. You know, when, when I was uh, at Transamerica, uh, we were focused on, on what was best for us, and our viewpoint was sort of inside the jar. Uh, so, you know, we had our issues. We wanted to advance. Going to McKinsey showed me a couple things. Uh, first of all, that that the industry itself was was battling some of the same things that uh, that we were battling at Transamerica, and nobody had really jumped uh, to the forefront uh, in any of those battles. And really, the the main battle I talk about is uh, knowing the consumer better, knowing your policyholder better, uh, and that's that's something that uh, has been my my mo from uh, from probably my first year at Transamerica until today. Uh, so that's that's the first difference for McKinsey. And the second one was to see how many insure techs were out there, the opportunities that were there to partner for carriers. As long as we could see them, as long as the insure techs could see the opportunities in insurance, then there was huge opportunity to, to really advance. So those were the two two top ones. Yeah, I always feel like the guys and gals that comes out of the consulting businesses just have analytical skills that nobody else has. Is that fair? Oh, I, I think that's fair. It's fair. I, I grew so much. Yeah. Uh, I hope I added value there, but I grew uh, so much being part of the group. But you know what I mean? Because you never lose that, right? I know so many people that have actually come out of the consulting businesses and go into insurance, go into other industries, and just their ability to analyze what's going on is just so much deeper and so much stronger. Anyway, let's talk. Yeah. Let's just jump right into the main part of this conversation. Can we talk about the what do you think the biggest trends are in the PNC industry today, and how do you see them shaping the future of what's happening in insurance? Sure, sure. And and as you know, it's it's the end of uh, the year. So there are there are a lot of firms, a lot of people going out there with their their trends right. uh, and 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 areas of focus for the insurance industry. PNC is what we're talking about right here. So I, I'm certainly not going to be unique, I don't think, perhaps in the priorities, uh, but but I certainly see financial management and governance as a as a top uh, priority, and maybe that's a fancy way of saying profitability. Because a focus on profitability, to your second question, really helps all stakeholders. Uh, and insurance as an industry provides so much to society 
Uh, I don't want to get too into that. Oh, do it but if you want in terms to. Of investing in social and yeah. investing in the economy, just huge amounts. But then there's also, you know, your policyholders and consumers knowing that insurance companies are stable, they're going to be there. Those that invest in insurance companies are are getting what they expect uh, from those companies. So I think that financial management and profitability is is key, and it's something that insurance industry executives are are dealing with right now. Uh, and I think that's the top priority. Uh, another trend is, no, I think I'm trying to think. I, I could probably think of five. Uh, so that's one. Simplifying uh, the insurance processes is something I'm sure you've spoken about. You know, through automation, new data sources, predictive analytics. I, I just think that's that's going to continue to gain steam uh, because you you're now adapting. A third one is adapting to the escalating risks uh, with insurance companies really focusing on preventing losses rather than just uh, reacting to them. A fourth one won't surprise you, responsible and ethical use of emerging technologies. Yeah. Uh, AI is certainly the focus uh, in that area. And then I think overall operational and IT risk management with cyber uh, and, and what we all read in the news and what we have to really make sure we're doing, which is protecting uh, the privacy uh, of, our, of our policyholders and our data. Do you want to talk about this AI thing in a little bit more detail. Look, I use generative AI every single day in my in my job, but just this use of ethical AI and where you think it fits in from, particularly from your perch, right? Right, from, from my perch, and when I, when I say that, I, I really am looking at as carriers begin to use uh, these technologies uh, for better decisioning, uh, for better risk uh, assessment, uh, those types of areas to make sure what they're using uh, is is not uh, creating bias uh, or or treating anybody in a disparate manner. So when I look at that, that's and that's the focus of of NIST, uh, the recently adopted NAIC uh, guidelines. It's what you're seeing, and that that's how I look at it uh, in terms of how is it impacting individuals, and make sure it's it's staying uh, in compliance with how we've looked at bias forever in the legal field. Uh, but I, I, I do think, and Michael, that's one thing I, I want to make sure. Uh, and one of my, I guess, my marching orders for, for next year is just to, you know, I think these technologies are going to really enhance the business. They're really going to enhance our experiences uh, and the profitability we talked about. Yeah. When we look at bias, there's this fear aspect that comes to it. Uh, and we have to make sure we don't treat it different than we treat humans making decisions. You're going down a slippery slope if you give different benchmarks on bias or impact of a technology versus a human. It, it should be aligned. If we were comfortable with, with what we were doing as humans, we should probably be comfortable with what's coming out of the technology. So just because a computer gives you some output, some people really take that as like, it's just a fact. But they're willing to challenge a human. Like if someone says something to you, as a guy or a gal, you'd be like, well, maybe that's because you grew up this way or whatever. But if a computer outputs and people just be like, it's a fact, it just came out of here. It's a really good point. How do you encourage people or how do you teach them that like, just because it comes out of the computer, just because the AI generates it, it may have some bias associated with it. So let's treat them the same way as we would treat Bob, like in, in you know, policy administration. How do you do that? Right. Yeah. It, it's actually how you look at it. And I'm sure that, you know, there's not a uniform no. uh, way to, to address this, but how I look at it 
is by adding a technology that has cognitive ability. Yeah. You've you've hired another worker. Yeah, basically. Uh, right. And 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 that worker, uh, I know some people would say, oh God, here come the robots, but that worker should be treated like like other workers in terms of information he, she, or it digests and the output from from each one of them. So that's how I look at it. It's probably a simple approach, but that's how I look at it. So can we talk about this too? Like I've been through enough business cycles and enough technology cycles to know that every time a new piece of tech comes out, there's a lot of worry about like, oh, this is going to replace me or this is going to take away my job or here come the robots. Like I've heard that for the last 35 years and I'm not kidding about it, right? And you probably have heard the same thing too. But I think the key is if you learn how to use the tech, and I'm curious about your perspective on this, it'll empower you and enable you as opposed to disintermediate you. And I know that that's a philosophical thing, but again, how do you communicate that to the people that are a little bit afraid? Because you mentioned the word fear before. How do you do that as well? Because I think that's key, no? It is very, very key. And I'll say you hit on something. I won't claim authorship of this, but we were talking about this at InsureTech Connect in a panel I was on where we indicated to the audience that you likely will not be replaced by AI. You'll be replaced by a human that's better at utilizing and yeah. leveraging AI. Yeah. That's to get people to stop uh, whatever thoughts they have of if I put my head in the sand, I'll be fine. Uh, this is to your point. These are tools that will enhance uh, the performance of our employees. Yeah, I think so. They'll enhance the performance of our business. It will take away tasks that frankly, aren't the best use of people's time. Yeah, that we don't want to do anyway. Right, right. I love the fact that the, let's take the easiest or one of the easiest examples. You want to do a press release. Right. <laughs> right. Most of the time is spent just getting started on that press release. Exactly. What if in 10 seconds you could have your first draft and, and, and be ready to go? When I look at that, you know, fear just comes from a lack of understanding. And that's whether it's technologies or when you're hiring somebody, you fear they may be able, they may take your job at some point. Right. Uh, that's just the, you know, lack of understanding of how this will benefit you and uh, the, the organization you're with. Uh, which which actually will further your job. And as you know, these technologies also create new jobs and new opportunities, uh, something you can be really good at and create opportunity for yourself. Yeah, so I've always been told that I'm not artistic because I never really yeah, thought about it. Like I was an economics guy, I was a math and science guy, right? And I was always told, yeah, you're not artistic at all. But I found now that I can prompt actually ChatGPT to give me good prompts as well that I can give to mid-journey that creates unbelievable what I'll call artwork. So it gives me, I feel like it's given me superpowers. And to be fair, like I said, I've seen many of these technological cycles. And I saw this when I was doing sales trading, when I was in Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. Like the technology allowed us to write algorithms that let us traded, that let us trade like from $100 million a day to $4 billion a day. It made me way better at my job. And I'm curious if you make any analogistic examples for some of the people that work for you, like the people that are afraid. I like to use the horse and carriage driver to the taxi driver. Like if you were a horse and carriage driver and you were a taxi, you could just learn how to drive a car and you were still doing the same job, but just in a way better way. What do you, like, how do you think this works? That's, that's, that's an analogy I had not heard. 
and a good one. I, like I will, it. I will steal that. Please Michael, do. When, steal when all you the, want. When I, when I have the opportunity, I will definitely steal that. Please do. You know, some of the fear comes from the fact that this wasn't your idea. Yeah, this wasn't sure. the employee's idea. And it's being introduced uh, either in a poor manner or at least in an effective uh, manner. Yeah. But also, if you ask somebody what they would need, most of them are going to give you an answer which they think is safe, will enhance what they're doing and not challenge them and, and perhaps make them rise above. What's the old Henry Ford quote when they asked if they asked people whether they wanted cars? He said, no, I didn't. If I'd asked people, they would have said they wanted faster, faster horses. horses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I know I butchered the quote, but that's, you know, that's that's why I think when you know it benefits you and you believe you're part of that adoption and decision-making, uh, the comfort level uh, so much is so much greater yeah. than than to the head in the sand. But also we have to make sure, and, and you and I both will recognize this, that some of that fear comes from just how an initiative is pushed on on people and and doing things correctly and making sure the top-down approach and the vision and, and how they, how folks see this unfolding, super important. So let's get back to the PNC insurance industry because as, like you said, as we come into the end of 2023 and we go into 2024, which I cannot believe is a thing actually. I really cannot believe. No, it. I sound like my dad more and more. <laughs> uh, let's not even go there. <laughs> but, but what do you think are the biggest challenges as we come in in the PNC industry in 2024? And then can we talk about how Pinpoint kind of addresses this, particularly as it comes to profitability and loss, ra loss ratio challenges. Sure. When, when you're looking at challenges, uh, and we mentioned uh, profitability, but, you know, the challenges are, that's that's your, your umbrella uh, phrase. Uh, you know, when you look down, you're looking at the costs of claims. So your social inflation uh, and, and, ado and adapting uh, to those, those higher costs and, and rising costs. There's also, you know, new or growing risks. Uh, we've had a lot of catastrophes. Yeah. Uh, but making sure you're planning well, making sure that financial management we talked about uh, really becomes a, a core attribute to your company. And I think one of the challenges that, that you've seen perhaps is ineffective risk assessment uh, and risk selection. Uh, by carriers, uh, perhaps looking at, at top line growth, and this is not casting aspersions at, at any one company. This is this is Scott uh, thinking. Top line growth and putting perhaps profitability as as second chair. Uh, thinking top line growth would would set you up up better. Uh, where I actually think, and the team thinks uh, that you can you can grow top line profitably. And I think that's the biggest challenge we're going to have is adopt adapting to this new environment, but then really focusing on on growing profitably and providing the relevant experiences uh, that uh, consumers uh, deserve uh, and will require. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into this, this risk assessment and risk selection, if you don't mind. Maybe a best example is I'll go high level again, and then, then we can we can come back down and there are certain levers carriers have. One is rate increases. 
Uh, and they use those rate increases when they're beginning to suffer from a profitability standpoint, yeah. right? Our pricing isn't right. Uh, so we need to we need to ramp up the, the rating. And then you've seen exiting geographies. So once you can't keep up uh, with the costs uh, of insuring an individual or business uh, and their rates don't don't keep up with it, then the other option that we've seen is carriers electing to exit geographies. You're talking about like Florida uh, exit and California. lines of business. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and so you see that. What could we do as an insurance industry so that we're not abandoning uh, consumers yeah. and we're able to still be profitable, like we've been talking about a couple of times. And that's that's by really looking upfront at the consumer and knowing uh, the risk profile of that individual like we've never known before. Right. We really haven't, and you're an industry vet, You you the focus has really been on the what we're insuring. Now we have credit and, and things like that, but really from a predictive uh, perspective, you know, the internet of things has been focused on the what, and that's, it's been great, but not knowing more about the person who owns the house, not knowing more about the person who owns the car or the small business, you're leaving a lot of the risk profile out. So when I say risk assessment, risk selection, we, we as an industry just haven't ventured into looking at the individual who really controls right. a lot of the risks that we're talking about. Is there a behavioral economic aspect to this? Like if you go and look at the way, because if you want to look at the, the, the people that are actually owning the what, right, that are insuring the what, their behavior must become important. Is there a way to use this, particularly in the context of AI, and then do large-scale analysis using artificial intelligence on what that behavioral economics is or behavioral aspects are for this as well? There are. Uh, however, I, I believe it's better not to have a grouping or category or pool of, of the risk assessment because that that's a bit, in my mind, unfair. So, you know, I'm X age. Uh, rather than lumping me in with all the other people that are X age, uh, or live in my area. Right. I I actually have a different risk profile than the person even next door to me. For sure. Uh, who who has a different and and the behaviors as you were talking about the behavioral economics aspect of it enables us to really hone in on that. Now you can certainly cluster folks together to really feel okay. You know those that are engaging in like conduct. Right share these behavioral traits. And you can definitely do that. Uh, but I actually think we'll be even better by by really going more granular and looking at, at the individual and utilizing behavioral predictors, behavioral economics to provide that prediction uh, that carriers, I think, really need right now to assess a consumer before they even come in their door. Is there a way to use alternative data to do that, though? Do you know what I mean? You know, pinpoint we do. Yeah, we actually use data that is not uh, typically used uh, in the insurance industry in terms of assessing risk. We, you know, we're looking at categories of of doc of uh, predictors like interests, uh, brand allegiances, 
transactions, really? uh, that, those type and trillions of data points. Uh, that's the one beauty, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, AI and, and we're, we're actually deep learning and well, that's kind of how you make the sausage, Yeah. <laughs> but trillions, trillions of data points. It, it's really how the, the, the large successful tech companies have built their predictive models, which is just, you know, tons, tons and tons of data rather than an insurance typical way of doing it, which is finding those two or three pieces of data that are, you think most predictive and just, and and going with those, it's a lot different. So I, I believe with the amount of data out there, uh, and it's again, atypical of what's collected, yeah. uh, you can be making predictions and, and decisions that are so much uh, better uh, than have been made uh, in the past. So yes, I, I believe that that data is, that data is out there and it is being used by us. This gets back to the risk assessment and, and risk selection, right? Because if you have, here's the thing. When I was sitting on the trading desk at Goldman Sachs, right, we started hiring engineers, which had been a very non-traditional thing to do. And when they started sitting on the trading desk, I said, like, what does an engineer do? Because I didn't know it. Like I studied economics when I was in college. And I remember this guy told me, he was like, an engineer's job at its core is to, not eliminate, but minimize noise and find signals, right? So it's not that you have to have all the data in the world. It's you have to just have the data that gives you the right signals. And I'm sure that you've encountered this too, right? So within all the data that you have, then you clean the data and then you get the best signals and you minimize the noise. And technology now allows us to make these much better decisions, which gets back to this risk assessment and risk selection that you were talking about. Is that fair? It, it does. And then if you carry that that forward, so with better risk selection, I think today they're actually calling it risk stratification. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to keep up, but I think that's <laughs> that's the, the really the, the more popular way to describe it, but I'll stick with selection. You know, by better risk selection, you're actually enhancing your underwriting uh, and making those models or models work better. You're enhancing your rating models uh, because the, the the people going into it uh, already are fitting your risk appetite. You know much more about them. Right. So that's that's actually why we believe playing at the top of the funnel before people even come into your gate is best because then you know more about them. You you create business rules based on your risk appetite. Uh, it's more inclusive because of that. And we can talk about that a little bit, but then it it really enhances and optimizes those, those uh, processes that we just talked about. So what do you mean by inclusive? So utilizing basic uh, selection criteria, let's say credit, which is which is used today. And I didn't say that in any credit's been great uh, for the business. Sure. However, as you know, many states don't allow you to to utilize credit. Right. Uh, and I think it's coming under under some some question. So utilizing data, that is not typically in insurance. And maybe a, a good explanation for you is this. When, when I say atypical predictors, right. there are things that that we will not use uh, because they're not, they could create some bias. So we do not collect predictors that relate to protected class. We do not uh, collect individual credit scores. We don't use natural language. You brought up generative AI, we don't use natural language because uh, it's it's introducing likely bias. A lot of bias though, right? 
We don't scrape yeah. cookies. We don't scrape social media. Interesting. Uh, so when I say fair, you are really looking at the individual, uh, to your point, from a behavioral economic uh, perspective. And if you're unbanked, that's okay. You still have behaviors. Right. Uh, we don't look at zip codes. Uh, right, so we don't, we don't look at geographies. Uh, they're, they're actually irrelevant when you're looking at an individual's risk profile. Uh, and so when I say fair, it's, it's the data, it's the data that we collect to create our scores, but then the business rules that a carrier can make, actually, it's not to cut people out. It's to be smarter about them right. and decide, okay, what, what pipe, uh, does Scott go down? Uh, with this type of prediction, uh, should I should I go quick bind? Should I go to additional underwriting required, uh, or should I go with a inspection is required? That's where it becomes, and then eventually leads to your pricing. And smart pricing uh, is is something that I think will will help a lot. Do you think artificial intelligence is going to have an impact on smart pricing as well? I I do I do. Uh, it's it's because of the fact that it's it's providing better information yeah. to those models and that there's there's new predictors inside those models i think it i think it definitely will so i had a really interesting conversation with somebody today about payments which may not sound like a big deal to you and and frankly i hadn't thought about it before he mentioned it to me but this idea that there's all this data inside of the way people pay for their insurance, how they want to pay for their insurance, the, the, the term that they pay for it, the frequency that they pay for it, and also the way that claims get paid, and also the way that inside of an insurance company, and I'm curious if you've ever thought about this, like just the data that's embedded in all the payments and the way to use that as well. Again, not to keep getting back to this, but just to go back to this risk assessment and risk selection and this inclusivity that you mentioned, it's just so interesting for me. Like I'll never look at payments in the same way again because they feel like, I'm not kidding. There's so much data embedded in there. Do you think about this as well? And does Pinpoint think about this too? One, I agree. And I'm not, we're not in the payments I know, uh, I know, area, I know. but I know there's a lot of advancements uh, being, being made there. And, and the information you can glean from the conduct of individuals right. uh, in terms of that, uh, I would assume would be predictive uh, and perhaps more than, than what credit is, which is a way to look at, at paying ability. But I, I, I do see that, you know, we, we actually, because of that thought process, that's why we are here with different data because it's the payment activities are just one area. Yeah. Uh, and when you introduce trillions of other areas, right. you're just getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Are you, and again, I am as well. So I'm asking you this just as like a compatriot, but are you surprised at what technology has allowed you to do over time? The way it's impacted the, I'm not kidding, right? Like I remember when I first joined Morgan Stanley in 1987, I don't know if I told you this, but I had like a 10 key on my desk. I don't even know if you know what a 10 key. I did though. <laughs> yep, yep. It had, it had paper coming out of the back of it. Like that was my way of adding things up. And I remember saying to my boss, cause I had a computer when I was in college. I'm like, if I could just have one of those things, cause there was a computer room, I think I could be way more productive. And I was actually the first guy in my group to have a computer on his desk. That's not a joke. And I basically use that for the rest of my career. Like that was the way I differentiated myself. And I'm wondering if you are kind of amazed 
at like the things that you can do today that you thought you wanted to do 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that technology has allowed you to do, if you know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. And, and for sure, that's, that's all I can say. It's funny. We had this conversation with a group. It was over the weekend, not a business conversation, Dumb. but we were talking about how they used to type up on carbon paper, <laughs> yeah, uh, these orders. And you think, oh my, imagine what somebody back there thinks would think of today right? Uh, and how much more efficient uh, we have become. But when you look back at what we did, look at, you know, in my case, look at insurance applications. They were, you know, depending on the type of product, they could be upwards of 24, 25 pages yeah. and take hours yeah. uh, to look at, or from, they would ask consumers to go collect all this data uh, that was required to do their, to do their underwriting. And then underwriting would take 60, 90 days, uh, whatever yeah. <laughs> days. And you always knew we can be better at this. We definitely can be better at this. And so what, what we are today is, is much better uh, than that. And to me, that's, it's amazing. You know, I can't imagine today an agent uh, today that is a digital native right. that has lived under this. If you would put her back in yeah. the 80s and 90s. <laughs> Just like, what am I doing? Say, what do you think? <laughs> they may they may pick a different profession yeah. uh, at, th at that point in time. But no, I 100% agree. And, you know, we, we I talk efficiencies, but it's just made us, you know, from a, I always focus on insurance because I've been in it so long, but to be able to personalize uh, experiences, to be able to personalize products, I mean, these are things you thought of right. back in the day, I think is how you say it. Yeah. Um, but today are, are there. Do you mind if I ask you about experiences? I wrote it down because you said this about a half an hour ago. And a lot of the conversations that I have about insurance now revolve around creating better experiences. What, what does that mean from your perspective? Yeah, I, I add the word relevant. Go ahead. Uh, to that. So making it a relevant experience to the consumer. And that's why knowing the consumer upfront allows you one to do what we've been talking about for risk assessment and, and decide the piping, but then design that piping to the relevant person that's coming through. Right. So that experience is what I would expect it to be. Uh, and it's, not a business term, but to have that delightful feeling that <laughs> That's I've applied for term. it and it's done. <laughs> but do you see that? Do you see that changing as well? Right. And let me, let me tell you, like for the first time in my life, I actually had to buy my own insurance at the beginning of last year, I want to say, because I worked at big companies my whole life. Right. And to me, it was just like ticking a box and filling out a form. And, and to be fair, I never really understood what kind of coverage I had because I didn't have to, I wasn't paying for it. And at the beginning of last year, I was like, I probably should get some health insurance. And I sat down with an agent and went through all this stuff. And to, and to be fair, it was a kind of a good experience. You know, it's like an iPad with, an, with a, a lady. Yep. And I'll call that a hybrid experience. But that to me was really great. I never felt like, oh, this is really drudgery. I felt like, okay, this is kind of cool. The payment stuff, again, because of the experience that I had today with a guy, leads me to believe that that needs to be kind of fixed as well. But that kind of experience is the thing I think you're talking about, right? Where it was just kind of fun in a way. 
It really is. And the one thing we have to be careful about in today's world, and you just hit on it, so I appreciate you hitting on it, not probably our topic, but when we're talking experiences, some folks go, oh, great. So it'll be totally digital, totally on, you know, online. Yeah, yeah. That's not what, what I'm saying, because some, some folks, including myself would like to talk to somebody. Same here. There's a real um, growing viewpoint that people finally realize agents are here to stay. Yeah. They're not going Advisors, away. how they work may be different, yep. but they're, they're here to stay. Uh, and I, I think it's important that you identified that this is not all digital. This is uh, somebody sitting there with you with an iPad, which is totally different. We used to call it, you know, a Starbucks sale right. uh, and right. and enjoying that experience. Look, I'll tell you, I saw this again when I was at Goldman Sachs, right? We use technology to do trading better, but the guy on the other end of the phone always wanted to talk to somebody else. He didn't just want to have straight through processing only. It's the same thing. And I look at it the same way. That it, that automated insurance process is like an algorithmic trading thing. It's great. But what if I have a question? I always want to talk to an agent. Agents are not going away. They're just going to get better, I think. Yeah. And again, it's not this topic, but I think it's a good point, right? And I think in, because we're talking about technology in the context of insurance, I think it still is relevant. You mentioned InsurTechs earlier. Do you interact a lot with InsurTechs? And if you do, like, how do you interact with them? We would entertain or interact with InsurTechs at, at conferences, events. Uh, we don't really interact with InsurTechs. Now, I, I should be careful there because InsurTechs is such a broad, a broad term. A bit. There are insurance carriers that are are considered InsurTechs. Sure. And, and we certainly, from a client perspective, uh, deal with them. But mainly, you know, those that are offering other services and products, uh, we, we engage with them uh, at conferences uh, or, or join like groups uh, to be able to talk strategies and how things are going out there. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to cover before I let you go? I mean, I can keep going on and on with you since it's so interesting for me, but is there anything else that you want to talk about that I've missed? You know, I don't think so. I mean, I, my, Michael, if you can tell, I mean, I love I love the business we're in and I say you and I are in. Uh, it, it's a great business that does great things for people and provides peace of mind. Uh, the better we can get at it and make sure we solidify uh, the carriers and the industry itself, you know, that's a legacy that that I don't mind leaving. And that's that, that's really what brought me to pinpoint. Yeah. Do you want to talk about this social good part of it too? Because I do think it's really important for people to understand. Oh, it, it immensely. And I, I won't have the statistics, but one, globally, the insurance industry provides trillions of, of dollars uh, into the economies uh, of the world. And then from a social perspective, I think you see this, you know, yeah. they support great causes uh, they support their employees who are working with great causes. Uh, it's it's an industry that, you know, in its core, is here to protect people and their dreams. Yeah. And with that, it just lends itself to have a socially active, socially responsible uh, backbone. Uh, and that's when I say the good of insurance. Uh, certainly, there there may be some outliers. But overall, that's that's exactly what we are here for is to help people. And we can do it with our products, but also with, with our investment. Look, I think that the insurance industry is there to provide a social good for people at their most vulnerable point. And I think 
in 99.7% of the time that that's exactly what happens. And I think people need to know about that. Scott Hamm, the CEO of Pinpoint Predictive. I really appreciate you doing this. You've got to come back. We have to have more of these conversations. If you've enjoyed this as much as I did, I'd love to. I would love to. Thank you. 